I think that letting teens take the lead is the best part of my job. From the Jewish Teen Funders Network, this is Outside the Sedaka Box, the Jewish teen engagement and philanthropy education podcast. I am your host, Danielle Siegel. Each episode, we will have a conversation with an amazing guest who will share their unique stories and help us explore the broader world of Jewish teen engagement and philanthropy education. I'm delighted to introduce our guest for our very first episode. Becky Berger is the Program Director, Teen Leadership and Philanthropy at the Jewish United Fund in Chicago. She works with Chicago area teens on programming that develops them as future Jewish leaders through Voices, the Chicago Teen Foundation and the Research Internship Training Program. In her spare time, she is a member organizer at the Jewish Council on Urban Affairs, helping to create welcoming spaces for Jews of color. Thank you for joining us. Hi, I'm so excited to be the very first guest. I feel quite honored. Wow, so you have a lot on your plate at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot on my plate um, and it's incredible work. I'm lucky to be doing all of it. What is really wonderful and unique about you, I mean, there are many things, but one amazing thing is that you are actually an alum of a Jewish teen philanthropy program. Yeah. Um, so Chicago, through my boss, Hallie Shapiro Devere, has one of the oldest Jewish teen philanthropy programs in the country. And way back in 2005, I did our program. So I was in Voices in high school over, gosh, what, 15 years ago? What was the biggest takeaway for you being uh, a participant in that program? I think that the biggest takeaway is what a serious process and learning experience philanthropy and teen philanthropy is. You know, there are so many activities that we have for teens that they show up, they have a meaningful experience, but it's sort of lost or it doesn't have meaning outside that moment. Whereas these are skills that teens that I took on to boards that I was on to the philanthropy we do in my own family. These were skills that were so directly relevant and something that I had no idea existed before I had heard about voices or before they had the opportunity. You You sort of go from zero to an expert in 10 months. I mean, I think that the most amazing thing is that what doesn't change is the, what doesn't change is the passion level. So, you know, everyone, all of my teens are just as excited, just as engaged, just as involved as I was. As trends change, as what our teens are interested change, this idea that they're, that 15 years later, this program is still just as exciting, just as interesting is really a testament to what it means to do teen philanthropy. What, was, what were you into 15 years ago? What was teenage Becky into? Oh my God, what was teenage Becky into? Teenage Becky was, okay, so unseriously, teenage Becky was really into cheerleading. 
I was in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade as a cheerleader. And so that was like very serious and near and dear to my heart. Um, but I was also just as socially engaged as I was now. I, I remember very vividly, I had a high school teacher who thought it would be really cool of him to tell everyone what he thought we would all be doing in, in 10 years after college. Um, and he was like, Becky's going to be a tree hugger and she's going to be saving the planet and, and like, and all of these stereotypes. And I sort of wonder if he could see me now in the work that I do, if, if he would feel proud of himself for the ways in which he, pre he predicted exactly the work that I'm continuing to do, that I was passionate about then and I'm passionate about now. Um, I want to believe that it's like, my deep Jewish upbringing and my values uh, and, and my, you know, the values that were instilled in me, but maybe I'm just trying to spite my junior year uh, history teacher. It could be either one, who knows? <laughs> you mentioned Jewish values. What, what are those, what are some of those Jewish values that run through everything you do? Um, so my background before I was a, um, Jewish educator, I was a public interest attorney. And so for me, human, human dignity and treating everyone with respect is really central to the work that I've always done and what I try to teach anyone that I work with. I've worked with students in a lot of different ways and a lot of different capacities. And to me, human dignity, treating everyone as equal um, and treating everyone the way that they want to be treated is so central to being fair to everyone and giving every and and finding justice, right? I think Sedek is another really central value for me, justice. And it seems like justice and human dignity are just really deeply tied and you can't have one without the other. On the face of it, it sounded like it was such a career shift for you to then go into this kind of Jewish educational sphere. But actually, listening to you talk about it, it seems like a really logical progression. Yeah. So when I was practicing law, I was doing special ed and I was helping families get special ed for high school students. And then I went to run an AmeriCorps program that used college students as guides in the courthouse. And so I've always been in a, an education space. And what I know about myself is that I love facilitation. I love very interactive and experiential education. And so finding myself as a Jewish educator, we're, we're so deeply invested in experiential education that it, it is such a natural fit for the things I'm passionate about and the skill sets that I have. Your day job and the work that you do every day is already very time consuming and wonderful and really makes a difference in the world. Um, and you have lots of little side projects as well. What is, <laughs> what is, a, what is a side project that you're tackling at the moment that you're particularly proud of? Um, I am working with the Jewish Council on Urban Affairs right now. I'm helping to design and run an anti-Semitism training for our members. So what is anti-Semitism? How does it function? What does it look like in left-leaning movements? Um, and how do we stay in relationship and continue to build power as we see anti-Semitism on the left uh, 
incredibly topical. It's incredibly important to the broader justice work that we do at JCUA. Um, and I'm really excited to be inspired by the teams that I work with. The other program that I run, they do research every year and their research topic last year was anti-Semitism. And so in many ways, the work I'm doing in my personal life is building off of the incredible work that my teens did all year. I'm, I'm inspired and moved by them to be bringing that to the broader community. I have been seeing a lot on the just general articles in the Jewish world at the moment about um, representation for Jews of color. And I've been to a couple of conferences recently. I've been to, um, to listen to some really amazing speakers. And I've realized just like how much of my knowledge is, is missing about this. And I know that you do um, a lot of work as far as creating welcoming spaces for Jews of color. And I'd love to hear about what you think the direction is um, that the Jewish world is going in at the moment. Are we seeing an improvement? And what is, what is your, your work in this area? Yeah, and so it's deeply personal. I grew up in the same Jewish spaces that I'm leading right now, right? We talked just a couple minutes ago that I participated in Voices. Um, I participated in other programs here at the Chicago Federation. I, per I participated in youth group programs, and I was the only Jew of color, and it was exhausting. It was exhausting. And I remember feeling like Jews of color were unicorns. And what we know now through really incredible work that's being done um, by Alana Kaufman and by the Jews of Color Build, Field Building Initiative is that we are systemically undercounting Jews of color and that every subsequent age group is becoming more and more diverse in American Jewelry, right? So what that means is we have to be thinking about how are we, I don't want any of the kids that I work with, any of the teens that I work with to ever feel like they are somehow this unicorn, right? I wanna create spaces where everyone feels seen and, and fully appreciated. There are a lot of different ways to do that. One of the biggest things that I want to do is just see more young people of color in our Jewish programming. And the, the way to do that is really strong outreach, to talk to families and, and have conversations, right? So your staff also needs to have cultural sensitivity training. What, do, what does it mean that someone is adopted? What does it mean that someone's, that they're biracial? What does it mean that a family is Ashkenazi, right? I'm from an Ashkenazi family, but I'm black. And there are so many assumptions that have been made my whole life where people are like, oh, you're Sephardic. Oh, are you Mizrahi? Um, because I'm a person of color. And it's like, no, my family's from Lithuania, right? I'm like as Ashkenazi as it gets. Um, and so how do we learn as a community to stop making the same, how do we move away from the stereotypes and really be thoughtful about the rich and complex history that we are all bringing to Jewish spaces? Um, and it's, there's, there's so much incredible work that's being done out there. Um, I, I have to raise up 
my deep teacher, Yavila McCoy, in all of the incredible work that she's doing for Jews of color and Jewish women of color, especially. Um, she is she is a deep leader, and we are so lucky as a community to have her and to have her teaching. And we're lucky to have you as well and the work that you are doing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I, uh, someone asked me when I started this job, what was I doing for teenage me? And, you know, I didn't know any adult Jews of color except for my mom until I was an adult. And so if nothing else, my presence allows teens to see that there are Jews of color who are adults that aren't in their family, right? And that the broader community truly does look like them and that the leaders in their community do look like them. Um, and that to me is like, is really revolutionary and really important for all of our team. And listening to Alana Kaufman speak and her mentioning that just because you don't see Jews of color, it doesn't mean they're not there. And you have to ask yourself why aren't we including Jews of color in our programming? Um, and how can we make the spaces more welcoming? Because we're, we're missing a whole population, a whole really important population um, who should feel welcomed in our Jewish spaces. And that is up to us to create some of those spaces. So I think it, it was a rude awakening for us as a Jewish community to see that gap. And it's a serious gap. Um, where, yeah. where, do you, where do you see... Where do you see us in five years' time? Do you hope to see um, more, more changes in programming, more changes in the way, even with teen philanthropy programming, what, expect, what changes do you expect to see in this realm? Wow, what changes do I expect to see? This is like the Shabbos question of like, what, how do you envision the world? How do you dream the world, right? It's a beautiful, beautiful way to think. Um, I want to see in my dream world, we have an organization like Kesha for Jews of Color that is doing really deep programming and inclusive work across the board, including, you know, my deep, deep dream is like a national Shabbaton for Jews of Color, that teens get to all come together from across the country and like live in their really full identity. In terms of programming, I think that there is a really interesting and sort of sticky thing about teen philanthropy that can happen that could can be really problematic for Jews of color. When we are doing this work and we think about what are the populations that we are serving, there is the potential that the grantee organizations are serving, you know, all black people, all Latinx people. And so you have this one Jew of color who is saying the board doesn't look like me, but all of our recipients look like me, and what does that mean for me? It's a, it's a moment to talk about racism in this country. It's a moment to talk about helping students move away from the white savior complex, and what does it mean to empower people to uplift their own communities? You know, it's a moment to talk about who you're funding, and are you funding organizations that aren't all white people serving all people of color? Are boards diverse? Are staff diverse, right? Are these questions that you're asking in your philanthropy process 
that's a way that you're telling your team of color that they matter and that their existence matters. You know, hopefully that's a thing that we're all keeping in mind during, during our process, right? Is like, it's what sort of, what sort of financial stewards is, are this organization, but also what sort of cultural stewards are this organization and how are they doing a good job at representing our values um, in the work that they do, but also in their own structures and processes. That's the beauty of teen philanthropy is that we're asking teens to think about the world around them and what do they want to see and how can they put dollars behind it to build that world. And so we, you know, that's the heart of what we do. What, what is the most common um, misconception about Jewish teen philanthropy in your community or your role as a program leader for Jewish teen philanthropy? That's a really interesting question. Something I always say to our potential grantees is take our students seriously because they will read your grant proposals way more critically than many adults that I work with. And, and I tease them that you can't have typos because we spend all this time telling high schoolers that typos are sort of the end of the world and we'll get apps and you will never go to college if you have any typos. And so for them, a well-written, spell-checked, grammar-checked proposal is sort of the mark of professionalism because that's what we're teaching them in high school. And so they're mirroring what we're teaching them. And so I think like one of the biggest misconceptions is that teens don't take this seriously. In many ways, they take it much more seriously than adults um, who, are, who are busy and, and who take their responsibilities less seriously often. What do you do in your spare time when you're not directing a teen philanthropy program and when you're not doing one of your wonderful side projects? Uh, what do you do? I watercolor. Um, I painted my own ketubah. So we had it printed and then I watercolored my own ketubah. So that's been a big project. Um, I'm also, I really like to make ice cream. Over the summer, we made basil ice cream for the first time. It was like vanilla with steeped with like basil steeped in vanilla. Super, super good. We're sort of finishing the last bit of that. So I'm a big ice cream aficionado. Yeah, watercolor and ice cream, I think are like <laughs> my big joys. Um, and we are, my husband and I are re-watching Veronica Mars. I watched it in high school and my husband is watching it for the first time right now. I highly recommend it if you've never seen it. It is one of the most fun shows. I have never seen Veronica Mars. Oh my God. Do you know what it's about? No. Veronica is this spunky gumshoe who is out there solving mysteries. It's like a mystery of the week show. Well, she's also trying to solve the murder of her best friend. That's like season one. Uh, it's like very witty. It's very fast paced. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so watch it now, everyone. Yay. <laughs> um, so I have, a little, I have a little game for you. Um, okay. It is called On the Money. Oh. So you are being asked to uh, redesign or, or watercolor, if you like, a new <laughs> dollar bill. Um, and I'm going to ask you, out of two choices, who would you rather put on the dollar bill and why? Okay. Okay. So your first pairing, Belle or Jasmine? 
Oh. So, I think I like Jasmine better as a character. But design-wise, I think I would rather put Belle because there could be a lot of, like, really beautiful, like, rose imagery, like, rose and thorns. And I just, I think that it would, like, make for a prettier design um, and, like, a more timeless design. Interesting answer. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, would you put Hillel or Maimonides? Oh, man. Um, so probably Maimonides, that's really hard. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Then I will, then I will say Maimonides because for, I'm sure for many teen philanthropy programs, the latter is so important to our curriculum and, and our thoughts about giving. Um, so let's like, Let's stay in theme and we'll say Maimonides because of sort of how, how central his text is to the work that we do. Last one. Would you put Moses or Miriam? Miriam. Miriam's so cool. In the other program I run, I'm always trying to think of like what are the ways that we bring in Jewish women and, and center holidays around Jewish women. Um, and, I, and Miriam is so fierce. And I just, I think that we should do a whole, like, we should do a whole Seder that is just about Miriam. I just, Moses is great. And everyone, we've, like, done Moses for a really long time, and we can do Miriam for a while now. And then we'll, like, even it out. And once we've done, you know, thousands of years of Miriam-centered stuff, then we can, like, do both. So I would say Miriam. (laughs) Yeah, that was really fun. I like that. I want to take that to my teens. Yeah. Feel free. (laughs) (laughs) they're gonna like that and i I will credit you i should copyright it before it gets taken yeah you should you should because i'm sure you will be able to monetize that and you could use all that money for philanthropy so i highly recommend copyright copywriting that it's like a beautiful circle of money What have I forgotten to ask you about in your very full and busy life? Mostly, I think the biggest thing that I would share is how much I love doing teen-driven programming. I think that letting teens take the lead is the best part of my job. They're so fearless. They are they're so much better at sorry. They're so much better at thank you. Um, and that makes, for me, that makes the work that I do so much more fun. And that is just like incredible to be able to spend every day growing that and fostering that and turning that into like the unique and thoughtful humans, like adults that they're going to be. No, that's, that's why, why I do the work and I love it. Becky, thank you so much for sharing your life and your stories with us. And thank you for all the wonderful work you do uh, with your teen groups. Yeah, thanks for having me. I am excited to be your inaugural guest. I feel, I feel like I'm going to get myself a button or something. We'll send you a plaque. You can yes. have a plaque to go on your door. Yes, and I will take it to all my voices meetings so they know how important I am yes. in the teen philanthropy world. The, the teens should realize how important and wonderful you are. <laughs>
So before we um, sign off, um, I want to say thank you everybody for listening for our opening podcast. Also a plug for the new Jewish Funders Network podcast called What Gives. Um, you can listen and subscribe to that on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts. Um, so thank you again, Becky. Thanks so much, Danielle. And um, see everyone next time. Outside the Sedaka Box is produced by the Jewish Teen Funders Network, the central resource for the network of Jewish teen philanthropy programs in North America and internationally. To find out more, visit our website at jtfn.org. Thank you for listening and look out for our next episode coming soon. Don't forget to subscribe. Until then, bye friends. <laughs>